You are listening to the Today I Found Out podcast, where each weekday we provide an interesting story that is going to feed your brain. You can read more great articles like this by going to todayifoundout.com. Hello and welcome to the Daily Knowledge Podcast. This is episode number 225, and in the show today, you're going to learn about the food pyramid and why it is actually not very good at all. And in the bonus fact section today, you're going to look at what preceded the food pyramid and why it was probably actually much better than the current version. Let's just get started with today's show. The very first food pyramid was a Swedish invention, and it was an invention of necessity more than anything else. Back in the 1970s, Sweden saw its country gripped by high food prices. The government then tasked the Social Strylersen, National Board of Health and Welfare, with coming up with a way to help the situation. In response to this, in 1972, they came up with basic and supplementary foods. In a nutshell, basic foods were foods considered essential to a person's well-being, and supplementary foods were foods that provided vitamins and minerals basic foods did not. However, it was one Anne-Britt and Santa working for Cooperativa Funbundet, Swedish Cooperative Union, a retail grocery cooperative, who really pushed the idea to the next level. Though the social styrelson's basic foods idea was a good one, Anna felt that it could be improved on and developed an idea of a triangular model to better visualize the portions. The scheme was officially unveiled to the Swedish populace in Cooperativa from Bundet's annual magazine under the headline Good Wholesome Food at Reasonable Prices. An important thing to note is that the social styrelsen, and by extension the Swedish government itself, sought to distance itself from the pyramids in lieu of a dietary circle model, not unlike one already used by the USDA, United States Department of Agriculture. This circular model, though useful for representing what foods were important, was criticized for not explicitly showing how much of each food type should be consumed, something the pyramid model did in a simple and visually striking way. Now, if you look at the original pyramids linked to in the show notes, one thing you'll notice is that there are some stark differences with the more westernized model you're likely familiar with. There's a reason for this beyond simply a more modern understanding of nutrition and health, namely pressure from lobbyists and heavy hitters in the food industry. You see, the food pyramid stood to be the go-to standard millions of Americans would base their entire diet around, and billions of dollars were at stake. For example, you may notice that in the earliest 1992 version in America, dairy gets its own section, whereas in the Swedish version it's simply bundled along with other staple foods. This isn't an accident, and subconsciously this suggests dairy is an essential part of one's diet, which is obviously not true since many cultures throughout history got along perfectly fine without non-human milk, as do vegans and others today. If you are guessing that entities within the dairy industry lobbied hard for this modification, it's generally thought that you're correct. You may also notice that the original American pyramid suggests 6 to 11 servings of bread, cereal, rice, and pasta per day. Which is, well, a lot if you actually think about it. According to Louise Light, one of the people who worked for the USDA during the time the pyramid was being developed, this was due to interference from food industry giants as well. How does she know this? Well, she was the leader of a group of top nutritionists who developed the original food pyramid for the United States before it got sold to the highest bidder, as she put it. She goes on to state, When our version of the food guide came back to us revised, we were shocked to find that it was vastly different from the one we had developed. As I later discovered, the wholesale changes made to the guide by the Office of the Secretary of Agriculture were calculated to win the acceptance of the food industry. 
For instance, the AG Secretary's office altered wording to emphasize processed foods over fresh and whole foods, to downplay lean meats and low-fat dairy choices because the meat and milk lobbies believed it had hurt sales of full-fat products. It also hugely increased the servings of wheat and other grains to make the wheat growers happy. The meat lobby got the final word on the color of the saturated fat cholesterol guideline, which was changed from red to purple because meat producers worried that using red to signify bad fat would be linked to red meat in consumers' minds. Where we, the USDA nutritionists, called for a base of five to nine servings of fresh fruit and vegetables a day, it was replaced by a paltry two to three servings, changed to five to seven servings a couple of years later because an anti-cancer campaign by another government agency, the National Cancer Institute, forced the USDA to adopt the higher standard. Our recommendation of three to four daily servings of whole grain breads and cereals was changed to a whopping six to eleven servings, forming the base of the food pyramid as a concession to the processed wheat and corn industries. Moreover, my nutritionist group had placed baked goods made with white flour, including crackers, sweets and other low-nutrient foods laden with sugars and fats, at the peak of the pyramid, recommending that they be eaten sparingly. To our alarm in the revised food guide, they were now part of the pyramid's base. And in yet one more assault on dietary logic, changes were made to the wording of the dietary guidelines from eat less to avoid too much, giving a nod to the processed food industry's interests by not limiting highly profitable fun foods, junk foods by any other name, that might affect the bottom line of the food companies. Unsurprisingly, as noted in the Wall Street Journal, obesity rates have increased ever since the introduction of the food pyramid, aka the day millions of people suddenly thought eating 110 billion slices of white bread per day was healthy. Now, correlation does not equal causation, and it's likely there are a lot of other factors in play here, but the food pyramid probably hasn't helped. Even if for some reason you don't believe Louise and others who were involved and more or less make the same claims, the USDA has certainly made a lot of questionable decisions with regards to nutrition recommendations. When the pyramid was being revised in 1995, they were under pressure to alter the wording of the pyramid to say, eat less salt and sugar. The sugar barons of the time fought this change, and when the revised pyramid was released, it advised people to eat less salt, but moderate their sugar intake. The funny part is that consuming excessive sugar regularly is most definitely bad for you, but on the sodium side of things, the number one reason most, even sometimes doctors, say to maintain a low-sodium diet, that high sodium equals high blood pressure, is more and more appearing to be a myth. To date, there is no solid evidence that consuming excessive sodium raises blood pressure. Further, there has been quite a bit of recent research not only debunking the low-sodium-is-good-for-you myth, but also indicating that in cases with people with certain heart diseases, more salt may be better, rather than less, as is often recommended to people with those conditions. But don't take my word for it. In 2011, two Cochrane reviews found no evidence that low-salt diets either improved or worsened people's health. They concluded, After more than 150 random clinical trials and 13 population studies without an obvious signal in favor of sodium reduction, another position could be to accept that such a signal may not exist. You can learn more about this by listening to episode number 203 of this podcast, The Truth About Sodium and High Blood Pressure. Another major problem is in the fat section. Unsaturated fats, which are lumped in with fats as being the least of the things you should have according to the USDA food pyramid, are not only essential for you to live, but have been linked to lowering so-called bad cholesterol, maintaining steady blood sugar, reducing your chance of heart disease, aiding in brain function, and have been shown to also aid in weight loss. But from the USDA food pyramid, as well as a lot of fad diets, you'd think you should avoid this type of fat. 
If you're curious, good sources of unsaturated fats include avocados, the name of which incidentally comes from the Aztec for testicle, various nuts, olive oil, pesto, and various types of seafood. So, in the end, when cutting through all the fad diets and misinformation about nutrition you'll even find in the USDA food recommendations, if you build your core diet around eating lots of vegetables, as well as moderate amounts of whole grains, lean proteins, fruits, and sources of unsaturated fats, all the while watching your overall caloric intake and exercising regularly, you'll probably be in the ballpark of very healthy. If you're curious what a much better food pyramid than the USDA's version, and better than the USDA's more recent MyPlate that has replaced the MyPyramid, check out Harvard's version from the Department of Nutrition, which you can find linked to in the show notes. Nothing's perfect, but it's pretty good and certainly beats the version created to pander to the various major food industry groups. In addition, if you're further looking for a completely non-gimmicky, healthy guide to the exercise part of the equation, as well as more detail on proper nutrition, including a lot of nutrition myth debunking, Michael Matthews, Thinner, Leaner, Stronger, The Shredded Chef, etc. are a great place to start. Links can be found in the show notes. Again, nothing's perfect, particularly when it comes to nutrition guides, but Michael Matthews' books are quite good on the whole and very easy, quick reads, with the content generally backed up by a heck of a lot of properly interpreted scientific studies, which is rare in that industry. It's also as non-gimmicky as you can get with no real set diet. He basically just teaches you in a no-BS way how to eat and exercise properly to maximize your full body health without having to go hungry or eat things you find unappetizing. And now for today's bonus facts. The USDA's first nutrition guidelines go all the way back to 1894. These essentially were, moderation is everything, eat a variety of nutrition-rich foods, watch your portion size, and avoid eating too much fat. That's not a bad guide, actually. They should have stuck with that. In 1943, the USDA updated this with their Basic 7, which was spurred on by wartime rationing and heavily influenced by this. Essentially, these Basic 7 were green and yellow vegetables, oranges, tomatoes, grapefruit, raw cabbage or salad greens, potatoes, fruits and vegetables, milk-based products, meat and eggs, bread, flour and cereals, and butter or margarine. In 1956, they updated this again, now going with the basic four – vegetables and fruits, milk, meat, and cereals and breads. This was the recommendation until they introduced their version of the food pyramid in 1992. Bonus Fact 2 since 1980, the USDA has also produced much more detailed nutrition guides than the quick-fix picture versions, with the most recent version of the full guide revised in 2010. However, like their food pyramid and my plate, they seem to be heavily influenced by various groups within the agriculture industry. You just listened to an episode of the Today I Found Out daily podcast. Tune in every weekday for another great episode, or find more articles at todayifoundout.com.